Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Online again. Thank you for joining us this morning and happy Father's Day. What a great day it is to celebrate dads in our lives, whether you are a dad whether you have a father-like role in somebody else's life or whether you have a dad that's still in your life that you want to celebrate today. Uh, It's just a great day to honor dads. So dads, shout out to you. Thank you for, for doing all that you do. You have one of the most important jobs in the world, and that's just being a positive fatherly influence in the lives of humans, and that's crazy. Uh, I'm a dad. This is my first time doing a Father's Day message as a dad, um, and it just kind of gives you a little bit of a different perspective, but dads, we love you. We shout you out. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about that in a little bit. The message isn't necessarily this morning going to be a Father's Day message, but as we look at the verse that we're going to be looking at, I think there's some really good insights um, for dads, and so we'll get to that in a little bit. But if you've missed it over the past several weeks, uh, we've been taking some time to look at some of the difficult words of Jesus. It's been a really fun series. It's been a series that... um, we've got to break up and wrestle with through as a, as a staff, as a team, because um, just the way the schedule and the calendar kind of lined up, it happened to be on some Sundays that Pastor Scott wasn't around. Um, so this is my second message. I get to start it off and finish it off. It's our last stop in the journey. Uh, Pastor Shea had a couple messages and Austin had one. And so we're just thankful as a team that we've gotten to wrestle through this um, series. And I think it's been a really good one for us as a, as a church family to wrestle through, to, to take a look at some of these, these words and these instances and these stories and these parables that, that Jesus said. And some of them are a little bit trickier. I got to kick it off back on April 23rd. It's been a, it's been a minute. Um, with a look at the, the call that Jesus gave to his earliest disciples to take up their cross daily and all that that entails and all that um, just being a follower of Jesus actually costs us. And then we took over the next seven weeks, we took a look at some tricky one-liners, some some things that Jesus said that were like, whoa, what the heck? It, the first one we started with was sell everything you have. And then we looked at let the dead bury their own dead. What does that mean? Uh, hate father and mother. Um, we Austin took a look at what it means to become the slave of all. Some tricky passages like the weeping and gnashing of teeth passages. Or when Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. What is he getting at there? And then Pastor Shea last week took a look at his his line talking about sort of the second coming. That no one knows the day or the hour. And yeah, we kicked this back We kicked this off back on April 23rd, and when I did that, I had mentioned um, that some of these passages were a little bit more difficult in different ways. A few of them 
like maybe the weeping or, and gnashing of teeth or, or let, your, let the dead bury their own dead. Those are kind of statements that just like make you stop in your tracks a little bit when you're reading through scripture. They can be a little bit more difficult at, at face value to figure out what was Jesus getting at here. And some of them were a little bit more obvious. Some of them maybe we didn't have to surgically dissect to, to understand their meaning. Um, but perhaps they can just be a little bit more difficult to actually put them into practice on a daily basis. Um, there's been a good balance of tough pills to swallow and confusing passages to wrestle with. And I would encourage you, if you've missed any of those messages, to scroll on back through our YouTube channel and just do a deep dive into this series a little bit. I think it's a really helpful one to help us understand not only how to engage scripture, but some of the things that, that Jesus had said on while, we, um, while he was here on earth. Um, today, we get one more passage one more tricky line or command from Jesus to his earliest followers. Um, and we find it in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to dive into it in a second here. But it's in one of the most sort of famous portions of Jesus' teaching that we find in Scripture. It's the longest portion, the longest consecutive sermon, if you will, um, that Jesus gives to any of those followers or listeners of people that would have gathered around at the time. And, and it's, it's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as I read this passage, I would just invite you to sort of picture yourself in the scene. While, while the exact location of where this sermon took place isn't specified in the, in the biblical account, it is believed to have taken place on a mountainside, um, probably near the Sea of Galilee in, in northern Israel. And, and there was a large crowd that had started to gather to hear his teachings. The, the crowd consisted of people from different walks of life, men, women, children, and from various towns and villages in the surrounding areas, people were starting to be drawn by Jesus' growing reputation as a teacher and healer. Jesus likely would have been positioned on, on an elevated spot on the mountainside, which would have sort of provided an almost like natural amphitheater-like setting, allowing his voice to carry and to reach a larger audience. And I, and I can just picture sort of the chaos of the moment. I can picture sort of the like anticipation of people gathering around and, and hearing that this guy's going to come teach. Or, or maybe he started teaching and more and more people just started to flock around and we get a glimpse in that teaching. We don't know exactly what it would look like, but I sort of just picture this like crazy sort of rambling of a bunch of different people coming from all over the place to hear about this guy that they've started to hear some things about, to hear more directly from him. And then I, I sort of just Im imagine this, the crowd coming to a silence as Jesus starts speaking. And it's this long-winded parable of you've heard it said or the Beatitudes. It's such a beautiful um portion of scripture that we see. And so we're going to catch a glimpse just in the middle of this sermon, which again is his longest time of consecutive teaching in scripture, but we're not going to be able to take a look at all of it. There's so much to unpack in all of it. It's, it's a sermon series in and of itself. But we're going to take a quick glimpse at uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 43. So right towards the end of chapter 5. And it says this, it says, you've heard that it was said, 
Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Oh, that's a little punch to the gut of tax collectors if they're around. And if you, if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? There's, there's punch too. Um, and then he, he sort of finishes the passage with, or the portion that we see here with this interesting line. He says, be perfect. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So as we always say, context matters. It's important to remember that scene of where we're at. We're, we're in this, this seaside uh, mount, or mountainside by the Sea of Galilee Valley where we're looking at where Jesus comes and he, he's delivering this long sermon. And he's doing a lot of like sort of corrective teaching throughout this sermon or taking it to another um, sort of level, anteing up a lot of stuff. But what does this last line mean? What does this last line mean? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What did that mean for those early gatherers that were in that sort of scene there? And, and what does that mean for us today, a couple thousand years later, as we read it? He's teaching all throughout this, this portion of Scripture of what the kingdom of God looks like, of what the kingdom of God encountering the here and now looks like. You have heard it said, but I say this. He says that over and over again. He says that throughout Scripture, but, but he's sort of upping the ante in this passage, in this little portion where he ups the ante on, on very specific things. In this passage that we read, he's, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, I tell you this, that's actually bigger than that. I tell you that love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Loving your neighbor, is, 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 that's an essential one, obviously, but, but we actually need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It was here now it's here. The ante is being lifted up. He does this over and over again. And then he says this. He says, be perfect. Be perfect. Is that the standard that Jesus is actually calling these people to live to? Is that the standard that he's calling us to live to today? Perfection? Um, I sure hope not. I think that that would be an impossible task. And I think that most of us would agree that we will naturally not do that. We are human. We do things that aren't what God would deem as perfect in his sight naturally. It's in, it's just sort of innately a part of who we are. We mess up. We have little mess ups and we have sometimes big mess ups, but is the standard that Jesus is calling these early followers to, is it perfection? Is that what they're getting at? Here's the thing. The question that I'm asking is sort of rhetorical. 
If you've been around church for any length of time, you'll know that even though some people feel pressure to put on this facade of everything living or everything having going really well and perfect in this picture-perfect life that they, they're living, um, for some reason there's sometimes that pressure that people feel to just have it all together. But we know that the call of Jesus on our lives as disciples in 2023 isn't to be that. It's not to be perfect. So let's deal with this passage at hand. What is he getting at here? Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When Jesus uses this word perfect in this context, it's, it, it's important to understand the origin of the word. It's important to understand the original language and the overall message of his teachings and how those two things might sort of coincide. If you speak another language, like some of you I'm sure do, um, you will likely have a far better understanding of this than those of us that don't. But we all know that English is kind of a, it's kind of a goofy language and sometimes words don't translate with the full meaning meaning that they encapsulate. Like, like there's words that are in a different language. When you try to try to translate it to English, it just doesn't, it's not quite fully there, right? Like it doesn't fully encapsulate the idea that that one word or that one short phrase might actually encapsulate in another language. And the word here that is translated in, as perfect in English comes from the Greek word teleos, which can also sort of mean complete or mature. It, it, it implies a state of moral and, and spiritual maturity rather than flawlessness or absolute perfection. See, Jesus is setting a high standard for his followers by urging them to emulate the perfection or completeness of their heavenly Father. He's not, or he is calling them to strive for a level of righteousness and love that reflects the character of God. This teaching isn't simply an instruction to literally be perfect, as we might interpret whatever that means to be perfect, but rather it, it emphasizes the importance of the inner transformation, moral integrity, and living in accordance with God's principles. See, in the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges his listeners to go beyond the external observance of the law and addresses matters of the heart and the intentions behind those laws, the intentions behind those things that he's calling people to live out. He teaches about forgiveness and love for enemies and selfless giving and, and among many other things throughout this sermon. But it's all about just sort of upping the ante and getting to the heart of the issue. And in this verse, Jesus is encouraging his followers to embody God's character and exhibit qualities such as mercy and love and compassion just as, therefore, just as your heavenly Father does. It's really important, I think, in this passage as we look at it because it's not that difficult to wrap our minds around. It's not difficult to understand that he's not saying just literally be perfect in everything you do. We know that that's not possible. But it's important to know that Jesus' words should not be understood as a demand for sinless perfection as no human can achieve absolute perfection. Instead, Jesus is presenting an ideal for his followers to pursue. 
knowing that they will continue to grow in their relationship with God and become more Christ-like over time. It's a call to stop being so concerned with all of the tiny little details of the law and to have a bigger picture of what it means to live life while trying to emulate what God is like in a world that so desperately needs that picture of what God is like and needs people to live what God or how God would call them to live. And obviously we gleam a lot of of what God is like through the person of Jesus, his teachings, and how he lived his life. But the character of God is actually just, it's baked through the entire Bible and you catch glimpses of it all over the place through stories of of his people in the Old Testament, through, through prophecies and revelations, and sometimes even through something like the book of Psalms where an author is writing and they're just praising the Lord, or they're just venting about what God is doing or not doing in that season. And I love the picture in Psalm 103. When I picture like the character of God, this is one of those passages that really sort of sticks out to me and what he's like and how he operates. And so in Psalm 103, starting at verse 1, it says this, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And then get this verse, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far for now. It goes on, but we'll, we'll pause there. Compassionate gracious, slow to anger, abounding uh, in love. Those are some of the characteristics that we see in God, and those are some of the things that Jesus is calling us to emulate as we aim to be perfect as our Father, our Heavenly Father is perfect. As we wrap up our series in the difficult words of Jesus this morning, I've spent some time reflecting on this series, both in the lead up to this message, as well as just through the weeks as it's gone by. And from that first Sunday and through through each and every Sunday after that, I've been sort of reminded of the cost of following Jesus and how it's probably more than we sometimes recognize. I talked about that in our first message back on April 23rd. It, it, the cost of following Jesus is everything. It's to take up our cross daily. It's to, to become more like Jesus. And that's what we are doing as followers. That's what we're doing here as a church family. We are a group of people that are collectively wanting to both worship God and become more like Him. 
and figuring out how that operates or what that looks like is different for a lot of churches and there's maybe different things that people focus on and everything else but but we are all on a journey to become more like Jesus that's the whole point of this that's what it means to be a disciple or as one of my favorite authors John Mark Comer refers to it an apprentice of Jesus we strive each and every day to become a little bit more like Jesus than we were the day before. That's what it means to be a follower of his. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of God. To, to seek the divine is to, to, to aim to become more like that divine, more like the, the characteristics that we see in the God of the universe. Dads, can I talk to you for one second? It's Father's Day after all. It's not one of those messages where I want to come here and beat you up by any means. Sometimes we do that, right? Like the joke's been that like, oh, on Mother's Day we, we pamper them with love and all this affection. And on Father's Day we, we beat them up and get them to, to right standing. And that's not my heart here. But I think that there's this, this pressure that sometimes exists in, in fatherhood to be perfect, to be the perfect dad, to be the perfect man. And so this verse kind of fits well in with Father's Day. There's this pressure to be a perfect father sometimes, to appear like everything is always together, to never let our children see us in moments where that might not be the case, to have all the right answers or to give the perfect advice, to do some corrective teaching when needed, with just the perfect dose of correction so as to not push our kids away or further down the road and ruin the potential for the next opportunity of corrective teaching, but so as to set them up best for the future, to be perfect. There's pressure. There's all this sort of stuff. We, we try to have it all together. We try to be perfect. And, and can I tell you this morning that that's actually not the call. That's not the expectation. It's not even possible to live that way. There will be moments that we just simply don't get it right. And, and, and there's moments where it's, it's actually valuable to be a little bit um, sort of more vulnerable and to, to show your kids that that, that pressure of, of having this perfect life isn't what life is all about. But Jesus in this passage is saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, to emulate more of the characteristics of God so that we may become more like God. So what does this verse, even the one that we just read in, in the book of Psalm, look like when we talk about it in the context of fatherhood? What does it look like to be a little bit more compassionate with our kids, with ourselves, with our spouse? What does it look like to be a little bit more gracious? a little slower to anger, abounding in a little bit more love than we currently do. You do these things well, and I would venture to guess you're going to be a pretty great dad. Where on the flip side, if you show no compassion, no grace, you snap at every little thing, and you don't act or respond to things out of a place of love. I hate to say it, but it's going to be an uphill battle, I think. So dads, the call to being a good father isn't to being perfect. It's to, to being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger 
and abounding in love, and when you focus on those things and take the pressure off some of the other things, you I believe that our relationships with our kids and with our spouses and, and the people that we are raising in our household, I think I think it might just go a little bit smoother. Not perfect, but smoother. And I would venture to guess that there's some of us that have a pretty rocky relationship with our dad. Um, Maybe your dad's no longer around. Maybe he is around. Maybe you wish he was no longer around. Maybe you've had some hurt and some pain. Um, maybe you just have a really tainted image of what God looks like because of the father language and the association of what your father was to you. And that's heartbreaking. And can I say, um, I feel for you. My heart breaks for you. That's not what God intended. But can I encourage you as hard as it may be to not inflict those presumptions of what God the Father is is like based on those experiences that you may have had with your earthly father because that's just not the case. The God of the universe is love. God is love. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. That is who he is, and that is the character he exhibits when he looks upon you. Regardless of how things have gone for you in this lifetime, that is who God is, and that is how he loves you. It's more than you could ever ask or imagine. So be perfect. That's the call that Jesus is saying to his disciples. That's the final words that we say in this Difficult Words of Jesus series. Be perfect. And, and know that it's, it's difficult to live up to perfection. And that might not even be the case of what the, the necessity is. That might not even be what the call to action is. But we're called to become a little bit more like Jesus. We're called to exemplify more of the characteristics of God the Father, the God of the universe. That is what Jesus is getting at here in this instruction to these early followers of people as he talks about raising the ante, raising some of the laws that they thought that they were following maybe to a T. He says it's more about the heart. It's more about, it's more about the intentions. It's more about the way you go about life than it is about crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's and following the laws exactly as they're written. And, and, and I'm not saying there's no value in those. I'm saying that, that we can interpret our, our life, we can interpret our meaning in life to just having to be perfect in everything. And we can spend too much time focusing on all the little finite details that equal perfection. But I think the call is actually bigger than that. The call is actually to allow our relationship with Jesus to transform us into becoming more like him, to becoming more like who God is and who he intended to be, who he intended us to be. So be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. It's a big call. It's a big action. It doesn't mean perfection. But it might mean be more compassionate, be gracious, be slow to anger, be abounding in love, be spiritually on a journey towards completeness. Be a little bit more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this series. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the, the call to, to be a follower of you that exists in, in such a way that 
we're becoming more like you. And that as we do that, the world around us becomes a little bit of a better place because that's how you operate. You operate in love and compassion and grace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. God, you operate in all of these ways that we ought to try to emulate. So thank you for this series, God. Thank you for this portion of time that we as a family have had to look together through some of these difficult words. I pray for every person here today um, that they would be transformed by the renewing of their spirit as they look through these words, as they study your scripture more, as they aim to become more like you. And I pray for dads today specifically. God, may you um, just show them love in, in a way that maybe they have never experienced before. God, may they see themselves through your eyes. May they see their kids and their spouse and their families through your eyes, God. May we become more like you in everything we do and especially in fatherhood, God. So thank you for the opportunity today to gather. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just be with us as we go our own ways, as we do our own things, um, and that you will just continue to, to move by your Spirit in our lives. And so thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's it for our series. Pastor Scott's going to be starting a new one next week. Kind of a follow-up to this series as we explore um, a little bit more of what being a disciple in 2023 looks like and some practical ways to live that out. Lives? You'll see. Um, yeah, so thanks for joining us. Uh, check out the website for anything that you might have questions about. We've got some stuff coming up. It's a great summer ahead. Uh, kickoff, summer kickoff barbecue next weekend. So if you, if you want to join us, we'd love to see you there. Um, and there's more details about that on the website. Have a great Sunday or whatever day you're watching this. We love you and we, uh, we appreciate you as a part of this church family.